Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Meet Delberta Fraser, a teacher in the outdoor classroom at Omaha Nation Public School. Omaha people have this whole reservation here and lots of land. And I would like to see this generation growing their own food and making their own economy from it. So that our struggles for the past seven generations, the next seven generations will have hope and happiness in this land. See more of the story at ILovePS.org. Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Thank you for joining me again this week as I take you through my thoughts around this draft and what a crazy, crazy draft it was, just generally speaking for basically the entire league, but even even to a degree to the Chicago Bulls, but I mean, it was just a complete nuts draft. I'm recording this just after the second round has concluded here. I waited to see what the Bulls did in the second round, and I was actually waiting actually to see if they kept their second round pick, and much to my dismay, they actually kept a pick and made a pick, so all in all, uh, an interesting draft for the Bulls, but just like I said before, a a crazy, crazy draft day for for the league in general, I mean, just taking you back through my day, I mean, obviously you guys can tell, but based on my voice and my accent that I'm, I'm based in Australia, but for me, the draft kicked off about 9.30 a.m., and it was around maybe 9-ish, 9 a.m. my time or so when I was starting to get really excited about where this draft was headed for the Bulls because it was at that point when I guess the Atlanta Hawks had traded up and the news was sort of filtering through that DeAndre Hunter was going to be an Atlanta Hawk at number four and potentially paving the way for someone like Jarrett Culver to fall to Chicago at number seven. So for much of the much of the draft and even before the draft, I was kind of excited that that was going to be the reality as to where this Bulls draft was headed. But all of a sudden, obviously that changed pretty quickly when the Minnesota Timberwolves picking at six after they had traded up in the draft, they took Culver instead at number six. And obviously the Bulls then went about doing their business and brought in Kobe White at number seven. So welcome in Kobe White as the newest member of the Chicago Bulls. The North Carolina point guard, six foot five, nineteen years of age, 
a score first guard who excels in tra- in transition. He will be a Chicago Bull. He was taken with the number seven pick, and he is the latest number seven pick the Bulls will be adding to the fold of this roster. So, like I said, it was just a complete whirlwind, and I almost don't know where where to begin or where to or how to collect my thoughts on this particular one because like I said it was it was just nuts there were so many transactions going on that it was literally impossible to follow what was happening on the screen as you're watching the TV as you were sort of also on Twitter sort of just trying to work out who had what picks what the potential picks would be from a respective team and how that would particularly impact the Chicago Bulls but just a crazy 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 night uh, but uh, I mean like I said before my instant thoughts were I was pretty damn pumped when I saw the Atlanta Hawks going up and trading what I at least consider to be a lot of assets for a player like DeAndre Hunter, who to me at least, I don't think he's worth the number four overall pick in this draft. So to see the Atlanta Hawks, a team who I was kind of envious of actually, and the way their rebuild was progressing, I was very, very glad to see them give up multiple assets for a player who I didn't think was worth the number four pick. I was glad to see him go to the Atlanta Hawks. I was glad to see them weaken their asset pool. And then I was very pumped to see Jarrett Colville fall to seven, but he wasn't going to fall to Chicago at number seven, unfortunately. The Wolves take him at number six. Darius Garland goes to number five at Cleveland, which again was kind of an odd pick given that they had taken Colin Sexton the year before. So they take another point guard, score first point guard. They actually took a lot of score first players in this draft, which was kind of odd. But like I said before, it allowed the Bulls to to go out there and draft Kobe White. And pretty much once Colville was off the board and it seemed like there wasn't too many options beyond Kobe White at number seven. It, it, it seemed like it was just going to be the case as soon as Colville went off the board that Kobe White was going to be a Chicago Bull. And obviously the Bulls had some interest in bringing White in. Obviously he's a point guard or at least classifies himself as a point guard. And in my opinion, I think he's more of a score first shooting guard type or a combo type. I think eventually he may morph into a point guard, but I don't think he's there right now. But Ultimately, the Bulls made it pretty clear that they wanted to bring in a guard of sorts, and they've definitely done that in Kobe White. And initially, I guess I had some mixed thoughts, or at least some deflated thoughts, because like I said, Culver was my guy. I I thought the Bulls were that close to getting him, but obviously they just missed out. So as soon as I saw the Wolves take Culver and came to the the realization that the Bulls would actually be drafting Kobe White, I was kind of down, I was kind of deflated, and I didn't necessarily know what to do next. And I wasn't that hyped when the Bulls made that pick because to me at least, it came across as a safe pick. It came across as a pick that was made out of need and fit more so than, you know, a talent upgrade or, or, or a more of a swing on a on a project of sorts. I mean, the Bulls could have potentially took a swing at Cam Reddish, a player who I didn't necessarily like, but, you know, obviously theoretically had a lot of a lot of talent behind him, supposedly, and even a player like Sekou Dumboya, another play, a project player who potentially had more upside than a player like Kobe White. I mean, they're players that maybe the Bulls could have taken at number seven as a bit of a project player, as, as a sort of a high upside play. But ultimately, when I started to think about it more, and as that as that sort of uh, disappointment that I had about Jarrett Culver going to the Wolves and obviously not, not becoming a Bull, once that feeling started to do to dissipate even though I am prepared to sit here and say that taking Kobe White was the obvious pick it was the fit a pick for fit more so than anything else I kind of think it was also the best possible solution for the Bulls based on who was available because like I said I'm not a reddish guy I know there's people listening to this who probably are who would have preferred taking a taking a swing on what reddish theoretically can be but based on his production 
I wasn't necessarily high on him at all. I definitely had no interest in Jackson Hayes, and it kind of concerned me that the Bulls had some sort of intrigue during the week leading up to the draft that they may be looking at Jackson Hayes. So I was more than happy not to take Jackson Hayes, but I also had no interest. Oh, I won't, I won't say I had no interest, but I had little interest in, do, in doing Boyer as well. I think he's more of a project. I don't necessarily see star upside for him. I think he be, can be potentially a super role player of sorts. So ultimately, when, a, when that feeling started to dissipate, that disappointing feeling, I, I kind of rounded out to the point where I'm okay with drafting Kobe White. And maybe that's just me just being a fan and trying my, to talk myself into it and trying to find the positives in this because... To me, at least, I don't think it's a perfect fit. I know Kobe White is listed as a point guard, and the Bulls obviously have a hole at point guard, but I don't think the fit itself is seamless. I mean, White is a score first guard. He's big, he's six foot five, but his wingspan itself is pretty much at six foot five, so he doesn't have a lot of length to him. He's not really a defense first kind of player, so he's going to be. I think there's potential for him to be an average defensive player, but at least initially, he's not going to be good. So when. You pair that kind of player with Zach Levine and the fact that Kobe White himself isn't a naturalized point guard, isn't a natural instinctive playmaker. That backcourt itself has some reservations for me, at least initially. So there are some downsides, but at the same time, White is a player who's a a speed demon. He likes to get into transition. He's super quick and he really is probably one of the better catch-and-shoot shooters in this draft. So those traits there are aspects that this Bulls team desperately needed. So it really depends how the Bulls want to use Kobe White and, and how they want to deploy him in the, into the rotation as to how good or bad he will be during his rookie season. But ultimately, I came around on the pick and started to think, well, it's, it's a solid pick based on, on, on who was available. Obviously, I was disappointed that Jared Culver wasn't a Bull, but you know, based on who was left, I probably wouldn't have been that much happier with anyone else. So I kind of rounded out to the point where I'm I'm okay with Kobe White. And it's, it's, it's a solid pick. It's not a great pick. It's not a bad pick. It's just a solid pick. And I think there is a good chance here for Kobe White being a good Chicago Bull so long as they use him in the correct role. And I've been thinking about that post the draft as to what makes most sense for Kobe White. And I really hope they don't force him and pressure him into being that starting point guard from day dot. And look, if he goes out there and wins it and deserves it, then fair enough. But I've just seen what the Bulls have done with Chris Dunn and and not necessarily supporting him well enough with enough veteran help around him at point guard and sort of just throwing him into the fire and seeing what he could do in running that offense. And I kind of want to avoid that scenario with Kobe White, and I would rather bring him in, bring him along a lot slower and. White, he is 19 years old compared to Chris Dunn, who came in more as a mature age sort of rookie. He's got a lot to learn just generally, but even in terms of playing that point guard position. So I don't want to rush the process with Kobe White. So my general thinking hasn't really changed after drafting White. I think the Bulls still need that free agent veteran point guard in July, and I hope that comes because I don't want to see White being given too much responsibility too quickly. I think that would be a mistake from the Bulls, but... I think he can add something to this bench. I'm, I'm interested to see what he can do as a six-man combo guard type player. Like a, I, I obviously think his ceiling's a lot higher, but I think in a role that you know something like Pete Jared Baylor's played for some teams, I think that would be something that I'd be interested in Kobe White doing initially for the Bulls. Whether the, whether Chris Dunn's alongside him in that backcourt in that second unit or not, I'm I'm, I'm kind of okay with either. Or I, the more I think about it, the more they're fit together. Chris Dunn and Kobe White, that is, 
their fit together in that backcourt in that second unit. That kind of makes a lot of sense given both are six foot four and six foot five in height. I think you know defensively, White could guard the point guard, Dunn could guard the shooting guard. Then on offense, you could have Chris Dunn sort of having ball in hand and running the second unit, which is probably the role he's better than better at than spotting up and sort of doing nothing without the ball, which is often the case when he's in the starting lineup. I think that makes sense as a combination. So I'm really into the idea of bringing Kobe White along slowly, steadily, and just making sure that his development is put first and not necessarily handing over too much too soon to the young guy because I don't want this to become a Chris Dunn 2.0 type situation. And a way they can avoid that, obviously, is by mitigating his role by having a veteran presence in there at point guard alongside him. So that's still the play as far as I'm concerned for the Bulls. But it was it's a good solid pick. What can I say? I mean, like I said, I was disappointed initially, but that was more to do with Culver than White himself. But the more I think about it, the more I guess it does make some sense for the Bulls to bring in White based on who was left available for the Bulls. But for this pick to really maximize itself, and I spoke about you know what White's best traits are, the Bulls are going to really need to change the way they play, and they're going to need to play a lot faster than what they did last season. And as we saw last season, and I, look, I don't know about you guys, but maybe you were successful in wiping that terrible basketball that we saw all of last year out of your brains. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I've been able to sort of get over that trauma, but um, I don't want to see the Bulls crawling on offense and. They just can't do that when they've drafted a player like Kobe White, a player who excels in transition and and really his best skills come in transition and playing fast, playing that quick sort of brand of basketball, that modern brand of basketball. And John Paxson, after the draft, sort of addressed those, I guess those wider points about the Bulls and how they wanted to play. And he himself mentioned um, promptly, I believe, that the Bulls are going to have to play faster. That's what Kobe does well. And he, he even said himself that Chris Fleming, the new Bulls assisting head coach, that he, along with Boylan, will implement some modern, fast, offensive principles. So there's, I guess, some hope and some scope there for the Bulls to be a little bit more dynamic on on offense next season. And they really need to be to maximize the, the talent of Kobe White, but not only just White, but obviously the talent that's already on the roster. It, it makes a lot more sense for the Bulls to be doing that. But it kind of makes sense for what the Bulls are now as well, because by bringing in Kobe White, the, the team doesn't necessarily have a, a lot of playmaking on the roster. And, that, and that's not to say they have bad passes or unwilling passes, but I, I just don't think they have natural playmakers or guys that can go out there you, you can give the ball to and, and just sort of run the offense to. And I mean, Zach Levine is going to be the lead option of, on offense on the perimeter. I don't think that's going to be changing next season, but Zach himself isn't a natural playmaker. I don't think Otto Porter is much of a playmaker himself. Larry Markin hasn't necessarily shown much traits in terms of creating plays for others. And the big knock on White is the fact that he's probably more of a combo guard than a point guard right now, and his playmaking skills aren't what they need to be. If your intention of him is to go out there and play point guard in a traditional sense, and I think if that's what you're thinking White can be, then you're probably going to be disappointed. So to that point, I think the Bulls don't have a lot of playmaking on this roster, so it's imperative that they actually do play fast and don't get bogged down in a half-court set where defenses can potentially expose their lack of playmaking by sort of getting the Bulls into the half-court and and really throttling the, the Bulls' offense by sort of choking up the game, playing it slow and making them operate in half-court and having one of these players who probably aren't the most natural gifted playmakers have to, or force them to go out there and make a play. And I think that's going to be tough for the Bulls to sort of do in a half-court set. And I'm kind of of the opinion now that 
after you know sort of solidifying the Bulls starting lineup here or potentially their future starting lineup here with with Kobe White. Wendell Carter right now is probably the best and most gifted passer in this whole I was going to say this starting unit, but really on this whole damn team. So I would actually like to see the Bulls, should they sort of revert to that half-court style of basketball, actually actually running a bit of their offense through Wendell Carter Jr. on that high post or on around that elbow sort of thing, depending if he's playing with the guards and putting through a lot of dribble handoffs to guys like White and Levine to finish the play or even sort of playing out high and and sort of funneling the ball low to, to Larry Markinen or even having Wendell Carter on the block and having him sort of uh, funneling the ball out to a spotted up version of Larry Markin or, or even having Wendell Carter sort of be that five that sets the screen in pick and roll, having him roll as a short roller and then sort of finding Larry Markin in the corner for the three. I think they really need to exploit Wendell Carter's passing ability a lot more if they're to be a successful half court offense because I don't necessarily see that with the Levine and White backcourt, but that isn't to say this offense can't run smoothly, but it will so long as they get out in transition and push the ball and, and look to sort of get those easy scores whenever they possibly can because I think there will be stretches during this season where scoring in the half court may be difficult, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll, it ultimately depends on what version of White we get. We have to remember that he is a, a guard learning to play the point guard position. He's a, he's a He only played one year in college. He's a 19-year-old kid. He's still learning what it means to be a basketball player, let alone a point guard. So it's going to be interesting to see how Kobe White transitions along here with the Bulls. But so long as they don't put too much pressure on him too quickly, then I think this can be a good pick for the Bulls. And I don't know if he's the long-term solution at point guard, but I'm kind of just of the opinion that they need good players at this point. I mean, going into this draft, could could we count on one hand how many players on this Bulls team that you, they have on the roster that you would actually be comfortable with having in a, a decent NBA rotation. I, I can't imagine it being more than five players. So so long as Kobe White develops into, even if it's just a sixth man, if he can develop into that, then it's a pretty good value for a seventh overall pick. I mean, you're not typically drafting a star at number seven. So that wasn't my expectation. But so long as White can be a decent player, a good player, one that you could easily insert into your rotation or potentially down the line, you know, package in a trade for a star player, then that's all I'm kind of concerned with at the moment. The Bulls just need good players. They're going to try and get that in free agency, but they need to do that in the draft too. So that's probably why I was more leaning towards Kobe White than a project like Cam Reddish or, or Sekou Dumboya as well. Because whilst those guys theoretically could end up being better players than Kobe White, I have more confidence in White being an actual productive player as soon as next season. So we'll see how it all shakes out. But that's what the Bulls did in the first round. In the second round, like I said before, I was surprised that they actually kept their pick. The Bulls are notorious for not necessarily doing that, but they kept number 38 and they've brought in center Daniel Gafford, who is an interesting selection. I I wasn't necessarily, I didn't know what they were going to do with their second round pick, but I think Gafford is actually a pretty good selection. I think he offers the Bulls an avenue that they typically haven't had on their roster. In a lot of ways, he was meant to be what Felicio was meant to be or well currently isn't I suppose so for those that aren't aware Daniel Gaffey is a big strong athletic center a rim roller so he's typically a guy that's going to set a screen he's going to roll hard to the basket in pick and roll and he's going to be the type of center who can set a screen roll to the rim and sort of catch those lobs from the point guards and really finish at rim don't expect too much more else 
from Gafford in that sense. He's not a guy that's going to step out and hit a jump shot. He's, he's more of a paint player, someone that's going to do most of his damage above the rim. And in a lot of ways, he's a facsimile to, to Jackson Hayes. That, and it kind of now makes sense why the Bulls would draft a player like Gafford, given that they did like Hayes. And, and I guess he's probably a lesser version of Hayes, if you want to put it that way. But Getting that type of player with your second round pick at number 38, I think it kind of makes sense. I, I I do understand there probably are some Bulls fans out there that were kind of annoyed somewhat that maybe the Bulls didn't take a shot at someone like Bol Bol, given he sort of slid into the deep into that second round. I think he went 44 to the Miami hit, who then traded that pick to, to the Denver Nuggets. So I kind of understand why some fans out there would have liked to have taken a swing on a, on the high upside guy or like Bol Bol in the second round. That makes justifiable sense to me personally i'm not a bowl ball guy so i don't necessarily care that they didn't go after bowl ball in the second round and i know i got a question about that from sir brian g on twitter he asked you know should the bulls have gone and taken a risk on someone like bowl ball and i definitely had no interest in doing that obviously with their first round pick but given that he did slide so far into the second round like i said i kind of completely get why a team would take that risk on Bol Bol in the second round. I know there's going to be some Bulls fans out there that have kind of disappointed that the Bulls didn't do that. But like I said, I'm not one of them. So I don't mind the idea of not taking Bol Bol. But having said that, I understand why some out there might be disappointed. But to me, it's just been an overall pretty good draft for the Chicago Bulls. I think they've added two players who give this team something they haven't traditionally had or at least haven't had for a while. I mean, think about all the point guards the Bulls have sort of had over the last sort of eight years, ever since that sort of post Derrick Rose injury, they haven't had a lot of shooting at point guard. I mean, DJ Augustine sort of came through and was a good three-point shooter. Nate Robinson himself did some shooting as well. But beyond that, I mean, if you think about the point guards they've sort of run through, Rajon Rondo, Chris Dunn, Jerry and Grant, Cameron Payne. I mean, there's a million others that I'm not going to name because I'm probably forgetting and I just want to erase their, their presence from my mind. But if nothing else, Kobe White should project to be a very good three-point shooter, and he's someone who can play in transition and can play fast, and they're things the Bulls haven't typically had at point guard. So White himself gives this team a skill that they necessarily haven't had in quite some time, and even Gafford himself. I mean, when was the last time the Bulls threw a lob in a 1-5 pick and roll and had that center sort of finishing above rim and really slamming home a dunk? I I mean, Felicio did it briefly in 2016 with Dwayne Wade throwing lobs to him, and I guess that's why he got paid. But before that even, I mean, we didn't necessarily see that from the Bulls. I mean, Joakim Noel was an above-the-rim center. We saw it a little bit with Taj Gibson, but even that, like when you watch other NBA teams go out there, a lot of teams have these sort of rim-rolling bigs who you can just throw the ball to and just hope they go up there and grab it and, and, and really slam that ball down. But the Bulls typically, traditionally at least, haven't had that type of player, but I guess theoretically they have that in Gafford now, and who knows if he amounts to anything, but at least it gives them a different look at center to someone like Wendell Carter Jr. So I think this is a solid draft for the Bulls. On Twitter, I said I would give him a B, a B plus. I, th- I don't think it's a great draft for the team. I think it's just a, a good, solid, safe draft, but the both the players that are coming in, I think give this team something that they haven't typically had. And and like I said before, if your expectation was for something more, something grander and, uh, you know, something of, of, of a greater na- nature, I can understand why you're a little bit upset. And I got this question in from Michael. He asks, what's the plan? Were the Bulls even present tonight? The Bulls call this a patient rebuild, but it looks like they were indecisive. 
the Bulls watched the rest of the NBA actively pursue value tonight while, the, while they sat by idly. So I, I certainly understand that viewpoint, Michael, and I, I kind of get why Bulls fans would feel, be feeling that disappointment. But like I said, particularly at the top of the draft where there were so many trades and transactions going on, the Atlanta Hawks obviously jumping up and getting number four. The Pelicans were doing stuff all night. I mean, the Minnesota Timberwolves jumped up from number 11 to number six. So there was a lot of teams moving around and doing stuff. But I, I would be a hypocrite if I would, I would be, if I would be sitting here on this podcast saying now I was disappointed that the Bulls didn't make a move because I was actually happy and comfortable for them not to make a move because Culver was that close to falling to them without them making a move. And I think a lot of these teams that actually gave up future assets to sort of trade up in this draft or trade into this draft, I think they're potentially going to regret it. And I'm just looking at the Atlanta Hawks again. I mentioned it before, but I'm very, very comfortable seeing them giving up multiple picks to go up there and get to number four and draft DeAndre Hunter. And, you know, maybe I'll rue those words in three or four years' time and maybe Hunter proves me wrong, but... I don't know. I just had no interest of the Bulls trading up and giving up assets to to go out there and actively pursue value, as you sort of said. I, I didn't see that in this draft. I didn't see that type of player worth doing in this specific draft. So coming into it, I wanted the Bulls to sort of stand pat and not be, not be active. I didn't want them to do anything stupid and sacrifice any future picks. And like I said, I'd be a hypocrite if I came on this podcast and post the draft sort of said that when before the draft, I that was my intention. I didn't want the Bulls to do that. So I don't know if I can get behind the whole uh, narrative of the Bulls needing to be more aggressive and chasing something harder, be it in, you know, in terms of trading for a player or maybe taking a swing on someone like Dumboya or Reddish. I, like I said, they weren't my guys. So I'm probably more in, aligned with what the Bulls have done here. And typically when it comes to draft, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more conservative than most people. So from a drafting point of view, I typically like what the Bulls do when they actually slot in them and make their pick. When I'm actually more concerned when they're sort of throwing around their picks and making trades. That's typically when the Bulls do something dumb, but I'll, I'm happy with that. I, I can't lie, man. So I, I was happy with the Bulls staying pat and doing what they did, but I understand your sort of frustrating, your frustration too. But yeah, that, that, that's just my view on it anyway, at least. But I got another question here too as well from Merlin and he asks, does Garpak's drafting White force Boylan to play faster or do you think he'll still be in that half-court offense and dump it into the post? And like I said, this is something Paxson sort of talked about and I I do expect the Bulls to be a faster team next year and, and maybe that's set out of more hope than anything else. But I think this draft with players like White and, and Gafford, assuming them they're going to have some sort of significant roles coming up for this team this season. But even if after trading Otto Porter and the fact that you've got Larry Markin and Zach Levine, there's, it's just no justifiable sense to playing that half-court offensive style. And I'm going to take it at their face value and, and, and believe them when they say that they're going to go out there and play faster. Obviously, it makes a lot more sense. We we can all see it. So I'm, I'm assuming the Bulls can see it as well. But we'll see what they do in the season. But I don't, I don't know if drafting White as such will force a Boylan to play faster, I think that should just be that should be something that happens independent of Kobe White. And I don't know if White is a good enough player or a big enough factor to force a coach to play or reach or, or or change the way he wants to play. But it's clear in my mind, irrespective of White being here or anyone else, even it was if it was just the sort of same team returning next season or from last season to this season, the Bulls just have to play faster. So I do believe. 
or at least I'll give the benefit of the doubt to Paxton and Boylan now, in particular because they've added Chris Fleming, that they will be playing faster, at least that's my hope, but we will, we'll see, we'll see, I'm, I'm playing the optimistic card here, that's not usually my style, but I think they will be playing faster, and I think it'll make a lot more sense, I don't know if that's going to lend itself to the defense, because I think this team doesn't have enough two-way players, enough players who focus defensively, but I think offensively, at least, it makes sense for them to get out there and run. And I think on face value, at least, based on what they've told us, that they will do that. And I'm going to choose to believe that for now, at least. But the next question that I got in comes from John Richards, and he asks, Dunn has to be off the team now that Kobe White has come in. What are the potential landing spots where he may end up? And this is an interesting question because I... I've long been of the opinion, and if you've been listening to this podcast in the you know over the previous few months, that I was kind of okay with moving on Chris Dunn. But the more I thought about it post the draft, and like I said before, the more it made well maybe not made sense to keep Dunn. But I think there is now a reality where should the Bulls keep Chris Dunn, it wouldn't necessarily be the end of the world if both Dunn and White are sort of coming off the bench and and are that backup that sort of backup point guard and shooting guard respectively. I think that makes some sense. So I think adding White has probably made me more more okay with maybe keeping Chris Dunn. And that's not to say I wouldn't entertain trading Chris Dunn. I think if the right deal is out there and it makes sense, then definitely do it. Uh, definitely do it. He's coming into the last year of his rookie deal. So I'd probably still be looking to trade him, be it in the, in, in the offseason or potentially at the trade deadline for, for whatever value you can sort of extract. It's probably not going to be anything more than a decent second rounder at this point. But it ultimately depends on what the Bulls do in free agency and what they can get for, for done on, on the trade market. I wouldn't be quick to just get rid of him just for the sake of it. But at the same time, should he remain on the team? I think there is some scope for him and White to sort of make to work and to make sense here. And I can just sort of picture a second unit with Dunn sort of running that second unit, White alongside him at, at, at shooting guard. And then you can sort of have sort of Chandler Hutchinson and Small Ford. And I wouldn't mind seeing a, a second unit lineup where you can sort of bring Otto Porter from the starting unit into that second unit and be that power forward in that second unit. And then you could sort of have maybe someone like Taj Gibson as that center. I think that would be quite a damn attractive option for this Bulls to, again, continue that fast approach in that second unit too. And players like Hutchison, Dunn, and Taj Gibson in that second unit next to Kobe White, I think that makes a lot of sense, and that will cover up a lot of his defensive weaknesses too. So I kind of like that the versatility of that lineup. So I'm, not, I'm probably weakening my stance or lessening my stance on getting rid of Chris Dunn off the roster as soon as possible. That's probably something I was more firm on maybe a month or two ago. But now after taking White and having a little bit more time to think about it and sort of not wanting to rush White and sort of just inserting him into that starting lineup just yet, I'm kind of down with keeping Chris Dunn if if it's the right value play. I don't know if it will be, but that's generally where my head is at right now. Like I said, I'm recording this straight after the draft. There's a million things going through my head, but I think... That's kind of what makes sense to me just right now. At least it should be an option is basically the point. They shouldn't be making any drastic decision right now based on Kobe White. I think they should just be sort of evaluating what's ahead of them in free agency, evaluating what they can get in in a trade scenario for Chris Dunn and just making the call from there. But we'll see how it all plays out. But the more I think about it, the more I'm rounding out and being comfortable with this pick because... Like I just sort of said before, right from the top, it really depends on who who you wanted the Bulls draft at seven. And I got this question in from Simon from Twitter, and he asks, had it not been 
Kobe White, then who else would you have picked? And I think that's a pertinent question because ultimately how you feel about this draft will, will or, or the answer to that question is will answer how you ultimately feel about this draft. And like I said, for me, Kobe White was probably the guy at number seven that I wanted if Colwell was off the board. But if you felt differently and and if you wanted Cam Reddish over the Kobe White, then I can sort of see why you're not necessarily super high about this draft for the Bulls. Or if you wanted Seko Dimboya or even later in the second round, if you wanted Bol Bol at number 38 instead of Daniel Gafford or even Taylor Horton Tucker, a Chicago kid, that's probably the guy I would have taken in the second round. But at the same time, he's a project player too, so I'm not necessarily sweating it too much. But I think Daniel's question here is pertinent in the sense that how your own evaluations of who was there for the Bulls at number seven to take had it not been Kobe White, I think that answer to that specific question will ultimately depend on how you sort of feel about the whole thing. And I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I, I don't know if I've convinced you guys. Otherwise, maybe I'm trying to talk myself into it as well. That's definitely highly probable, but I'm okay with it. So, yeah, I mean, that's just my take. But I, I think another thing that made me kind of okay with the whole thing, the way it played out too, is just seeing so many, seeing how many bad moves a lot of teams around the balls or thereafter sort of made. I mean, what the hell were the Washington Wizards thinking taking Rui Hachimura at number nine? I mean, like, that's a name that you'd have to consider for the Bulls at number seven if you didn't want Kobe White. And I had no interest at all at Hachimura at number seven. And then, obviously, the Phoenix Suns, I had no idea what they were doing throughout the day. And, and they sort of leapt up and took Cam Johnson, Kobe White's teammate, at number 11. And I was kind of hoping Cam Johnson would be an option for the Bulls in the second round. And a lot of mock drafts sort of had Cam Johnson being a late first, early second round player. And I mean, what the hell were they thinking doing taking him at number 11? And there's just a, I mean, the Miami Heat, I think, took Tyler Hero at number 13. There were just, there were so many picks that were made that were just sort of befuddling to me. I had no idea how the rest of the league allowed the Memphis Grizzlies to get Brandon Clark at 22 or 21, whatever it was that he sort of, whatever whenever they got him, I think they actually did that OKC trade, which I was sort of imploring the Bulls to do during the draft there, given that Brandon Clark, Grant Williams, uh, Goga, Goga Biazzi was sort of falling towards the later end of the draft. There's a lot of value sort of to be had in the late teens, early 20s, given the sort of the reaching picks that those teams sort of in that 8 to eight to 15 range were making. I thought it was kind of insane. So I think that gave me some comfort as well to see, to see some other dumb teams making some dumb plays. And I, th- I think we can sort of be quick to get on the balls for making the solid safe pick here. But I- I'd much prefer that then being one of those teams or being a fan of the, like, I hate to be a Phoenix Suns fan right now, guys. I mean, I feel sorry for saying that too for, for all my Suns friends out there, but God damn it. I mean, if that was my team making those plays and chasing those sorts of players, I mean, I would be absolutely losing it on this podcast right now. So I will take Kobe White and Daniel Gafford over that solution any freaking day. I mean, that sort of made me or helped me sort of, uh, come to terms with how I feel about this draft too. But overall, I think it was a pretty damn good draft for the Bulls. A solid draft at least. Like I said, a B plus. Let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at MKHoops. And while you're at it, follow the podcast at BullsHQPod and hit me up on Twitter. Let me know what you thought because, uh, look... Not to sound like a giant knob here, but I probably wasn't able to catch up and and to sort of follow along with my uh, my mentions at the moment because they were coming through thick and fast. But I, I'm interested to hear, hear your thoughts, particularly after you've allowed some time to sort of collect your thoughts and, and to see how this sort of thing sort of sits with you maybe 12, 24 hours after the draft. I'd be interested to hear from you guys. But 
like I said, personally, I'm, I'm okay with how, how it sort of played out. Maybe it's because I sort of tempered my expectations and didn't expect the Bulls to do anything of significance. But um, yeah, I'm interested to hear from you, you guys. So hit me up on Twitter. But that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. I thought I'd get my initial draft thoughts out there and letting you all know what I thought. Hopefully, I've convinced some of you guys out there that particularly those that didn't necessarily love this draft that this one probably was a decent one for the Bulls. But like I said, hit me up. If you disagree, I want to hear about it. But we'll be back again next week on Bulls HQ. I'll I'll see what we're doing. We're at least going to do a free agency primer. We're definitely going to be doing that show. But uh, I'll see if I can throw in another show in there for you guys as well because the week after I'm actually going on my honeymoon I've booked my honeymoon during free agency of all times that was a complete rookie error on my part I don't know why I did that I did not think about it at all but I will be traveling Europe pretty much the month of July so I'll be missing out on summer league and free agency so I I don't know what my podcasting schedule will be during July but I might try to sneak out a few quick podcasts while I'm traveling on my honeymoon hopefully that doesn't lead to a divorce but we shall see but um, I'll definitely get another show out for you guys next week potentially too we'll see how it happens but that's all for today thank you for joining me bulls fans we'll speak again soon but until next time this has been bulls hq Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.